Welcome to Upworth United Methodist Church. I'm Pastor Debbie Weatherspoon. This Sunday, we kicked off Black History Month with our guest preacher, Reverend Jeff Kunkel of Oakland, California. He shared with us about the Jesus of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We hope that you will find this service to be inspirational and uplifting as you celebrate Black History throughout the month. Please join me in hearing today's scripture. Both are from the New Testament. So we'll begin with Matthew chapter 27, verses 16 through 20. This is termed the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Mother, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 6. Chapters 27 to 36. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your father and mother is merciful. Praise be to God. It's a pleasure to worship with you this morning and to see some of you from earlier phases of my life, different assignments in my life. We all know Martin Luther King Jr. quite well, I think. We've learned a lot about him, especially about him as a civil rights leader. But I'd like to focus on an area of his life that's a little more intimate that maybe we don't know as well. I sure, certainly didn't know it as well until I started to investigate, and that is his relationship with Jesus. How it began, how it evolved, how it deepened. And as I do that, I want you to keep in the back of your mind your relationship to Jesus how it began, how it's evolving, how it's deepening, changing. So one thing to remember about Martin Luther King Jr. is that he grew up in a very intensely religious church-oriented home. His father, Daddy King, was the pastor of the most prominent black congregation in Atlanta. Very strict, pray at every meal, learn scripture lessons. Church lasted all day Sunday. His mother, mama, well, she was a perfect preacher's wife. She went to all the events. She had a kind word for everybody. She knew names, she knew who was in trouble. And what they had at that church is what Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, looked back on and called high-voltage worship. High-voltage worship. That would include such things as moaning, crying, shouting, healing, moving around. Amen. Right? I was thinking back to the last time I've been to high-voltage worship, and it was when we were visiting... Uh, relatives of my wife's in Florida. We went to their Pentecostal church on a Sunday morning. And it was our first time there, so we didn't quite know what to expect, even though we'd been to those kinds of services before. But something new happened. Unexpected, there was a woman right in front of us who, in the middle of the service, stood up and started moaning. And I thought, oh, she's sick. Well, maybe I was right, maybe I wasn't, but but then her prayer partners gathered around her and she kind of wilted right into them. And they took her over to a chair and they wrapped her in a purple robe and the congregation started praying and shouting and singing and everybody was praying over her. That's high voltage worship, right? Or at least a little slice of it. And if you want that to happen here, talk to your worship committee. They call that, by the way, slaying in the spirit. 
being slain in the spirit. Yeah. So this is the kind of worship that he grew up in. By the time he's five years old, he is quoting psalms by heart, quoting the stories of Jesus by heart, and starting to feel the deep respect that's offered to him and all black people in that context. The church was that safe place where they could get away from the humiliating discrimination they had to face so many other places. Well, by the time he was 13 years old, you know what happens to teenagers in America, right? He decided to rebel against his commanding father and parts of the Christian tradition he didn't hold dear. So he stood up in Sunday school class one morning and he said, I do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. 13. Well, nonetheless, even in spite of his rebellion, he was being groomed to be a preacher, right? By the time he was 15, he was already in college. Morehouse College. And there a couple of things happened to him that affected his relationship with Jesus. The first one was that he got to know the college president, Benjamin May, and he got especially interested in the work of the college president because he was at the time trying to create a social order based on the teachings of Jesus. He also started to read Gandhi and learn some things about nonviolence, nonviolent love and care. And he also had an incident in his dormitory, which is memorable. There was another student, a white student, who accused him of stealing something from him. And he calmly denied that. Uh, and the more that the student pressed him, the more he stayed calm in his denial. This really got the guy. So he went back into his room and came out with a pistol, put it in his face, and said, I know you stole it. And Martin Luther King Jr. continued to say, I did not steal it. It wasn't me. Well, some other students gathered and took the pistol, talked, talked this confrontation down. Martin Luther King Jr. decided not to press charges. In fact, those two became not close friends, but good friends. Jesus was calling him, in his words, to be tough-minded and tender-hearted. Well, then he ran off to get his PhD in the North, uh, first to Crozer Seminary and then the Boston University. And you'll want to hear the title of his PhD thesis, won't you? Aren't thesis titles interesting things? Good bedtime reading. Well, his title was something like this. A comparison of the concept of God between Paul Tillich and Henry Wyman. He was smart, and he used his mind for research and learning and thinking and broadening his horizons. 
Well, when he graduated, he took his church, first church in, in Montgomery. We all know about that phase of his life probably a little bit more, right? And soon after he took his first church, Rosa Parks came into the picture and refused to stand when she was asked on a bus. And pretty soon, Montgomery was involved in the bus boycott, right? And Martin Luther King Jr. began to lead that, became a national figure, really, as he led that. He's a national leader by now. He's, re he's re uh, receiving about 40 <coughs> letters of hate each day. He has a young family. And his relationship to Jesus began to change again at this point because, well, why don't you hear from him? This is a sermon he delivered about that moment soon after he became a national leader and soon after he became afraid for his life and the life of his family. Then I got up and went back to the kitchen and I started warming some coffee, thinking the coffee would give me a little relief. Then I started thinking about many things. I pulled back on the theology and philosophy that I had just studied in the universities trying to give philosophical and theological reasons for the existence and the reality of sin and evil. But the answer didn't quite come there. I sat there and thought about a beautiful little daughter who had just been born about a month earlier. We have four children now, but we only had one then. She was the darling of my life. I'd come in night after night and see that little gentle smile. I sat at that table thinking about that little girl and thinking about the fact that she could be taken away from any minute. And I started thinking about a dedicated, devoted, and loyal wife who was over there asleep. She could be taken from me. I could be taken from her. And I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. Something said to me, you can't call on daddy now. He's up in Atlanta, 175 miles away. You can't even call on mama now. You've got to call on that something and that person that your daddy used to tell you about. That power that can make a way out of nowhere. I discovered then that religion had to become real to me, and I had to know God for myself. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I never will forget it. Oh, yes, I prayed a prayer, and I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause that we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now, I'm faltering, I'm losing my courage. And I can't
can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weakened, losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. Seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. Well, did you hear those words at the end that were spoken to him that he heard that night? Lo, I am with you until the close of the age. Um, did you hear our liturgist read those earlier from the gospel? That was Jesus speaking to him. That's the point in his life where Jesus was no longer a concept or an idea or a teacher, but became some kind of living power and presence and his deep need called that forward. Not too long after that, there's a bomb that went off on his front porch. And people from the surrounding community gathered with tools and weapons. They were ready to fight on his behalf. He went out on the porch and he said to them, my family's okay. Go home, put down your tools and your weapons. We must love our white brothers and sisters Remember, love your enemies. We heard those words too, the words of Jesus. So, Jesus was in him, speaking to him by this point, giving him the courage to do what he had to do. Amen. MLK's favorite hymn. Oh.